Hello, and welcome to Null Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop role-playing games, and tabletop war games. And today, we're talking about elves. Yay! No, nope. nope, not Elvis. Elves. Elvis, also an acceptable uh, topic. Yes, but only the Costello version. <laughs> so welcome to our working week. Uh, my name is Troy, my pronouns are he, him, and I am joined by Ed, who, as I believe, is not an elf. No, uh, if you look at me, I'm built more like a dwarf, uh, a tall dwarf. My name's Ed, by the way, and my pronouns are they and them. Um, I don't have any good elf jokes, I don't think. Other than they should probably unionize. An elvish union? Yes. Uh, isn't that a blood bolt? group yes that's kind of where i was going right um but before we get into elves what they are where they come from why those knife-eared bastards love trees so much we have to talk we have a segment i guess called the week in hobby where we talk about what we've done this week in hobby i'll go first um had a brief starfinder session last week where we the party was called to deal with um, reports of an explosion in the small town that we're building. Uh, turns out one of the scientists had brought along some exploding slugs that he was Fine. researching. We had to kill them, or, or put them down at least. Can you use them in Neptunian uh, cuisine? Probably, but um, to do that we had to like knock them out. The, the issue was that... Um, to knock them out, you had to kind of do bludgeoning damage. The only one who could do bludgeoning damage was me by going up and punching them. I mean, Except technically they everybody can do punching damage. Well, no, the other people were very afraid of getting caught in the explosions because I'm the only one who has hit points. Oh no, a little explosion. Yeah, I'm, I'm the brawler. The other people are a technomancer and a mystic. So, like, a two different types of casters, essentially. And they um, had some issues with getting caught in an explosion and almost dying immediately. No, so, my 1d4 of hit points. So I had to, like, walk up and try to punch these guys unconscious, and explosions kept happening. So it was tough. Um, then I ran a session for my Eberron campaign, the and it was our final session. Didn't have to be. Uh, if the players had been a little less diplomatic, they would have had to fight their way to a specific location. Instead, they kind of got invited along to see the ascension of the Lord of Blades to godhood. And cool. when they realized he was going to try and conquer the world, they fought him. He Voltron together with some other Warforge. He banished the party's cleric, which was pretty <laughs> great. Just like, no, I'm... I'm, I'm partially, done with you. Partially this was me being tired of his bullshit because he fair enough he built the tankiest fucking thing you could get at this level with like 20 plus a with like 28 ac which makes it really tough to actually hit him with an ability and he has so much health and all this other shit that it, it can be frustrating as a dungeon master when nothing i do affects him hmm. um because it feels like he's not even really playing the game at that point. Give him fantasy COVID. Give him, like, three levels of winded. He's a Warforged. 
Um, dry rot is effective against a warforged, I think. He has a constitution modifier of like plus eleven, or a constitution check of like plus eleven. He, it, it's in, it's real tough. So I banished him, which is a charisma save. <laughs> so yeah, he got to spend part of the fight like sitting outside the universe. Eventually, they Hanging did enough out with Al Gore and Fry. Yeah, eventually D within the D and D universe. Exactly. Eventually, they did enough damage to break concentration on the spell, so he got pulled back in. Um, and yeah, the the DPS character managed to defeat the Lord of Blades, and then he exploded, and then the um, giant fortress that he was in exploded behind him. And yeah, the party called it a set a campaign. So nice. that ended up. Uh, then I had a lancer session where the party finished a combat that they had started the previous one. Um, combat, again, taking a while, but that has more to do with just learning the system. This was their first, like, real combat, aside from the training one. Mm-hmm. And their mechs are not fully specced into what they're, like, sort of going for. So the guy who ran up into the open and started shooting a machine gun at people got fucking wrecked. Because he was standing in the open. Um, that, ta- that tends to happen when you stand out in the open. Ask my uh, my many advanced squad leader casualties about how that goes. Yeah, he got wrecked. His mech was destroyed and he had to bail out. Um, luckily, at that point, the rest of the party had managed to just like take out the uh, enough of the enemy mechs that the infantry was like, nope, we're out. Without mechs, we're not going to stand and fight these guys, and so they ran. Good call. Uh, yeah, the, the enemy infantry was like, nope, later, bye, and uh, booked it, which allowed the players to recover his mech and keep moving on their mission. Good and they had, And there's a system by which you can repair a mech in between combats. There's a, mm-hmm. essentially a short rest system that get, lets you get mech hit points and structure back. Short mech rest. Yes. Um, so they got that going, and they'll uh, continue on to the next session this coming week. Woo! I also bought more Battletech minis, so now I have more, and I'm painting them. I got some yeah. done, and I've got pretty much base coating on everybody else. So uh, depending on how busy I am today, I might get a whole nother set done. Party time. Ed, what was your weekend hobby like? Uh, it was mostly painting. Um, we no, we played BattleTech last week. I yes, did, before however, last week's. I did, however, go out and buy that same starter set of BattleTech that you did. Um, Actually, I think we got different sets. Really, I got hmm. the quick set, uh, the quick start pack. Oh, uh, I got the Game of Armored Combat set. Yeah, so we have totally different mechs, which is awesome. Cool. I was worried for a second that we were just going to be fighting like some kind of mirror match. Oh no! Uh, so I got that. They've been based. They've been primed. I'm trying a new experiment with my Zenithal highlighting, which is where you essentially add highlights and shadows as part of your base coat. Um, it's something that you can do with the slap chop paint method where you're essentially just underpainting and then adding just tints of color to the top uh, on top of that. 
but previously it hadn't always worked so well because I end up with like really super dark blacks that nothing would ever really cover. And I'm like, kind of, why am I doing this? So trying to focus it more on having like the actual spots that are covered in shadow and highlights. So like under the arms, uh, in the robot crotch, um, any spot where if like the torso is twisted, if there's a spot that's being, being covered by an upper part of the mech, that'll get a shadow. And then hitting the highlights on like the face on the top of the arms, like the tips of the legs and all that. And we'll see how that goes. If it makes any more of a difference. Um, it was something that I noticed was causing an issue with my infinity stuff where just the entire underside of the model would be just black and you know, it's hard to cover up all that black paint. So yeah, I think the slap chop method really relies on, um, primer coatings closer to the actual color of the unit. Yeah. I haven't, I've only done slap chop stuff on a couple of things. Um, that unit of dwarves that I did for Stargrave, uh, which turned out fantastic. Um, my Game of Thrones stuff is kind of slap choppy. I don't know. But I'm not intending to do slap chop on the mech stuff just because I don't quite know how I'm going to paint it yet. Um, that and the technique that I was using relies on contrast paints, which are expensive. Yes, they are. And I've only I've only got so many shades of contrast paint. I um, have two, and I'm only really happy with one of them. I have the black. Um, the black I use uh, a fair amount. Um, I have an orange, a green, a gray, and then a white. And the white is absolutely useless. It is not white. It is a very light gray. Yeah, I have the white, which is the one that I said I don't don't like, and I have the flesh color, the Goleman flesh. Which I haven't tried I, that one. I quite like. Uh, it, it essentially means you don't have to use uh, fleshing, like mm. flesh-coated ink, or flesh-tone ink washes on stuff. It's does it all in one go. You just gotta highlight it up a little afterwards. I might have to try that, because I've... No matter like how many techniques or how hard I've been trying, I still really struggle with flesh tones. Yeah. It, um, it's a good set. It's good for flesh tones. As long as you've done like a light base coating of like a light primer, it doesn't do shit on black primer. Hmm. Yeah. Cause the way that the way that I normally paint flesh is I start essentially painting from like the muscles up. So my base coats, rather than being, you know, flesh tone they'll be like a purple or a red because you'll have when you look at somebody's skin in real life you get those the tones from the muscle and the flesh underneath that seep through the skin and then mm -hmm. trying to do uh light layers of the flesh tone to kind of build it up so that it still shows through a little bit um it's been hit or miss as to whether or not it actually works yeah but Flesh is I one of those things that I try and avoid painting, which is bad because then I don't progress. Yeah, I find the, uh, the the flesh contrast paint works pretty good if you just want to get that done quick. Sweet. I have been hearing this, the, the siren call of 40k again. Uh, 
no matter how hard I try to try to get out, they keep trying to draw me back in. Uh, so I was looking at some 40k stuff, and damn, I forgot how ridiculously expensive 40k stuff is. Yep, that's the um, Games Workshop promise. Yeah, because with the with the 10th edition 40k coming out, I was my interest uh, radar was grabbed, and they have a new system coming out called Combat Patrol, where it's kind of like Kill Team, how it's smaller, are... oversized army. Yeah, it's smaller. Yeah, armies. and there is like there is one army list. It's the Combat Patrol box, and that is the army you play with. Which I was like, cool. That might be like a sweet, uh, inexpensive way to get in because that's kind of how they did uh, Age of Sigmar, where you have the the begin collecting box, and it's like eighty bucks. You get, uh, I think, like two units and usually one large monster and or contraption unit. And it's a pretty good deal. Uh, the 40k ones are 160 bucks, and they contain about the same material, if not less, than the start collecting boxes for Age of Sigmar. So it it's is just like uh, definitely designed to try and get people into the game. I don't know how successful it's going to be. If it would, I mean, even if they just said hundred dollars flat rate. Uh, that's your start collecting box. I'd be in, but 160. It's like, dude, you can get some entire games for that because this uh, is literally just the 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 get started for 40k. 160 dollars in BattleTech units will get you um, holy shit, like a yeah, it will get you a shitload of stuff in BattleTech. Exactly. Um, so, I don't know. Played I'll, like a year's worth of games, practically. I'll probably I'll probably stick with my kill team if I get around to it. I might grab some chaos dudes because I really want to do some uh, super queer slanesh uh, emperor's children painting and make things loud. Always um, a good choice. Yeah, but I don't know. It's it's one of those things where I love 40k and the universe so much. But for some reason, I hate the game, and it's like they don't even want me to play it because they make their stuff so expensive. But in terms of stuff I actually did this week, um, got back into my Infinity stuff, uh, probably inspired by my painting success with those objective markers that I was working on. And the robots that I'm working on, they're starting to get kind of out of the ugly duckling stage, which for me is always the hard part to get past where it's like, oh man, these look like shit. I don't even want to keep going. Um, but I had to toss around some paint formulations to figure out what was going on because the stuff I was using just did not provide coverage and was not great. So got them pretty much base coated. I'm going to start doing like the highlights and the shadows and all that. So hopefully they should be done soon. Um, and then I'll have my first full set of infinity stuff done and it'll be the the robot team that you designed for me for last summer oh yeah um i still have a bunch of like transhumans and uh proxy stuff to work on but i'll work on them later because the scheme that i'm doing for the robots is slightly different mm. just because they're you know hard metal and plastic humans transhumans are uh soft metal flesh and plastic. flesh plastic and metal um, and then I feel like I did something else. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, wait, I already talked about the Battletech stuff. Board game, card game? 
Board game? No. Card games? No. Yeah, it's basically just getting in, getting, oh, yeah, I was talking about Battletech and then I got on a tangent on uh, priming. That's yeah. where that was. So yeah, Battletech stuff, uh, that'll be fun. Uh, you told me about Space North Korea and Space Vegas. I'll have to pick one of those as one of my factions to kind of start off with. Um, yeah, so just a lot of painting, which is a nice for a change. I'm trying to be more assertive about uh, actually taking my painting time since it's part of the art therapy process and uh it's bad times if i don't make time for the art yay yeah and i will say i found the battle tech stuff real easy to paint yeah just looking at it i got the same vibe that i get off of um like steamforge stuff where it's it's not like super high detail like g-dub style but it's also not um like two dollars kind of throwaway mini like you get with some of the reaper stuff which i mean you know reaper is fine i love reaper stuff it's just you know the quality is different it's that the good older middle one, range the older reaper especially was real uh smooth yeah it's that good middle range that i like where it's really easy to paint and even though it's not you know g-dubs cad quality it still looks really nice once it's done yeah. Makes me feel like I'm a better painter than I actually am. <laughs> yeah. You're a good painter. You're I try. Painter. It's it's my one claim to fame. I've only been doing this for like 20 years, which makes me feel really old. Yeah, don't don't ask me how long I've been doing it either. I won't. But I know the answer. Oh yeah. <laughs> Down to probably when that first miniature was when we first got into this stuff. Yeah, I, I I still have my first miniature. Unfortunately, it has since been repainted. Um, I do have the second blister pack of minis that I got, and that one hasn't been repainted, and it lives lovingly shoved in the drawer of my paint desk in case I need a comparison. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the first box of Warhammer miniatures, or the first like Warhammer miniatures I ever got are long gone at this point. Tragedy. Um, I can't remember if it was High Elves or Dwarves, because I started with both of those before I decided, oh yeah, Skaven. I think it Rat might have been High Elves. Yeah, our group was weird. Everybody tried High Elves briefly. Yep. Which um, is a perfect segue. Yes, a perfect segue. We finally did it. We found <laughs> the ultimate it. segue. Because um, today, we are talking about Elves. Woo! They are... The, like, standard fantasy thing at this point. You, it is real hard to do a fantasy setting that doesn't have elves in some way. Um, I don't they think are I've expected. seen one that doesn't have elves. I have, but I read a lot of weird shit. And so, like, it, it, if you go into the more, like, weirder books, more out there fantasy, you'll find stuff that doesn't have elves. But classic fantasy, it's all going to have elves. I mean, I guess something. Animal Adventures doesn't have elves, but that's a setting where you're literally playing as cats and dogs. I mean, uh, you're not actually... Animal Adventures is set in, like, standard D&D, but just with animals as Heresy. playable characters. So you, you you can have elves. Never mind, then. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to burst your bubble like that. Boo. Um, I mean... 
you have to get into settings that are much less standard D&D to get away from elves. And, you know, the question, of course, then is, where? why are elves so ubiquitous? Where did they come from? Well... I'm pretty sure they come from trees and or the North Pole. It depends on the elf, but in folklore and mythology, elves were uh, from Germanic and uh, Norse mythology. Uh... The Norse mythology has the, um, has, like, two different types of elves. Uh, there's, like, among the nine worlds uh, that are linked by the world tree is Elfheim, or Alfheim, and Svartalfheim. Oh, which is, yeah. you know, elves and dark elves. Um. I was gonna ask, is this a, is this an, uh, like a troll situation where everything is a troll, everything is an elf? No, no. I mean, no. Elves, the traditional ones, were more associated with... Um, elves generally seem to have been thought of as beings with magical powers and supernatural beauty, ambivalent towards everyday people and capable of either helping or hindering them. So they were more spirits. like Well, like spirits or... Yeah. Kind of sounds almost uh, like those they... like Russian house spirits where there's just, like, spirits of inanimate objects, and they can be helpful, or they can just kind of hang out in your house. Yeah, the elves are more nature-related. Um, sometimes related to illness, magic, beauty, seduction, etc. Um, and sort of... They were kind of the proto-fairies in a lot of cases, um, and are sometimes linked to the fairies and the fae. Um... A Midsummer Night's Dream refers to the Fae as elves a couple of times. Hmm. I had forgotten um, about that. And then, of course, there was like the Romantic movement um, in the 19th, 20th century, which is where you get Christmas elves. Um, <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, uh, there was some... The the thing about uh, the, the poem uh, that calls Santa Claus a jolly old elf. Um, that is true. They do refer to him as an elf. Yeah, that's like the first instance of kind of getting your Christmas elves going. And then there was some American like cartoonist, uh, Thomas Nash, the famous American cartoonist who like depicted Santa Claus as having elves in green helping him. <laughs> and, and then Coca Cola got a hold of him. And, and yeah, and that's and that's where Santa gets his elves. Thank you, Thomas Nash, for that great work. You're welcome, world. In fantasy genre, it's, well, the last, like, folklore one is, um, Lord Dunsey wrote a book called, uh, The Elf King's Daughter. Uh, Lord Dunsey, early 20th century fantasy author, uh, notable for already showing up on this podcast because he, he was responsible for making the gnolls into a fantasy being. <laughs> Woo, gnolls. Yeah, he, he's the gnoll guy. But he also wrote a book about um, a, a, a king or who, or like a duke or something, who goes and marries the elf king's daughter, and then I've been on the internet. I know where this goes. Uh, it's <laughs> kind of the Persephone myth. He, he huh, finds and marries the elf king's daughter. She has a couple of kids with him, but then she's unhappy and wants to go home. 
she goes home, then she's unhappy at home, uh, he goes to look for her, eventually her father, like, uses his great magic to pull the entire kingdom that she married into, into the Elflands. Oops. Well, I mean, that kind of makes people happy, because now, whatever. I mean, it's kind of a mixed, it, it's old fantasy, where it's more folklore than, like, high fantasy stuff. There's not a lot of real conflict in it. Um... And that was kind of the romantic elves as fantasy thing. The elves in high fantasy is all down to one British man. Um, uh, Guess who? Oh, uh, I think his name has three letters in it. Oh, it's more than just three. G-R-R-M. No, J-R-R <laughs> Tolkien. Because, yeah. Because, of course, it is. Um... Professor J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, linguist, uh, brilliant author, um, master of veteran, (laughs) master of creating entire languages just to explain key parts of his books. Um, he, yeah, he does elves. He, he invents elves in The Hobbit and in some of his short stories and then expands upon them in the Lord of the Rings and the Samarimarillion. And he, you know, pulls some stuff from uh, Germanic Norse mythology and Old English mythology. Uh, in Beowulf, there's a line about ogres and elves and devil corpses, which is cool. kind of... Which is, again, kind of the where orcs came from, as we discussed in our episode on orcs. Glorious orcs. Um, it's also sort of where he gets elves. Um, and Tolkien did some interesting stuff where he looked at all of these different folklore and like historical concepts of elves and kind of blended them together. Because um, there were folklore things about elf shot, which was associated with like Neolithic flint arrowheads that people would find. Cool. Um, and so he took that and was kind of like, Okay, so elves are associated with arrows, thus they must be good at archery. Um, and there's all these stuff about how elves are fair and beautiful. So he's like, all right, elves are fair and beautiful. They're like all these things about getting pulled into the fairy realm and it, time being weird and taking forever. Well, he's just going to yoink that in and make elves live forever so that time <laughs> doesn't work for them. And then he pulled in a lot of other stuff later. Um he wrote an entire. He created an entire language for them because, yeah. Um, the like medieval myths of, that gave elves like magical powers. He did that. Their connection to nature. He did that. You know. And then, like the Norse mythology with the light elves and the dark elves. His Tolkien elves are separated into different groups or peoples. Um. The, I'm, I'm not going to go into the exact details about the Tolkien elves and the different, and like the Sundering and the the Valinor and the elves that live still in Middle-earth and the shenanigans there. You have to get the Patreon bonus episode for that one. That episode would take like three hours. Yeah, the three-hour Lord of the Rings bonus episode. Oh, don't... <laughs> I uh, sure. 
I don't think we have enough people listening to this podcast to really make that work. But if people want, why not? Um, and so Tolkien created elves that were at, at both familiar to people who had like read folklore and kind of knew the general, like, this is what elves are, but also very distinct and a very strong component of his setting. Um, also, they sing a lot and have a lot of poetry in the books. Uh, that something, do. That, something that did not make it into the Peter Jackson film versions. Nope. Um, and according to one of my relatives, thank God they didn't put it in. I, 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 I have mixed feelings. I think they could have put in some of them. Um, I also think it would have been fun if they had recorded some of them and used them as like credit music. Oh yeah, that would have been that would have been a good option. Instead of that weird Enya song, <laughs> I think that's in like Two Towers. I don't remember. One of them has a weird Enya song. Um, if they had just recorded some of the weird elf songs instead, um, it certainly would have been better than any of the shenanigans they did for the Hobbit books, uh, for the Hobbit films. Aside from the uh, dwarf song in the first one, which was quite good. Fortunately or unfortunately, I have not seen the Hobbit movies. You don't need to. Good. They get real silly. Real fast. Um, but yeah, so elves, you know, Tolkien made elves very consistent and very uh, specific. And because everyone loves Tolkien, when Dungeons and Dragons came around... Steal they that just, shit. They, they, they literally stole a bunch of shit from Tolkien when... Getting started with Dungeons and Dragons, the halflings were called hobbits until the Tolkien estate threatened to sue. <laughs> um, same for a few other things that they had to quickly rename. But elves were not a trademarkable word, so they couldn't really sue over that. Uh, thus, elves were lifted wholesale from uh, Tolkien for use in Dungeons and Dragons, and thus spread to every other fantasy role-playing game system and a huge amount of fantasy books. Yay. Um, in Dungeons & Dragons, elves are the descendants of the god Carillion Lanthalin, who I may or may not be pronouncing correct. Uh, they same sort of skin tones as humans, same as sort of hair colors, but they can also have green and blue and... They tend towards, like, silvery colors. Uh, they tend to be slender, of slightly shorter than human stature, but not substantially shorter. Um, don't usually have a lot of body hair. Long, pointy ears. Although, the length and pointiness of the ears have increased, thanks to uh, anime, manga, art making elves have ludicrously long ears and that being very distinct. Um, which I'm going to say, honestly, I'm okay with that. Um, the, the making elves more distinct from humans is totally fine. Um, and we'll talk about some of the other settings and what they've done with elves as well. I have no um, official stance on ear length. Although I do think it's kind of funny in world of Warcraft when the elf ears bounce up and down when you run. Yeah, so actually we will talk about uh, World of Warcraft elves. Um, the history of elves in the D&D cosmology is kind of interesting. Um, 
their god was injured and his blood dripped down and created the like pantheon of the rest of the elf gods who then went on to create elves as a, a like species of almost mortals um and then there was a um well the the, the equivalent of uh, a war in heaven where where one of the deities that was created from the blood of the primary deity was like hey hey you know what we should have like honestly a it's war. kind of in- well <laughs> no it's kind of interesting because in the christian mythology war in heaven the fall thing the uh lucifer you know the 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 angel who's like hey god i think i disagree with you about stuff he wants more freedom is typically how it's written um especially if you're reading uh paradise lost by blake which i highly recommend um, we stand libertarian satan <laughs> i i don't know if it's called libertarian satan but i stand a also, Satan and Lucifer may or may not be the same thing. I stand a fallen angel who did it because he wants personal freedoms and free will. Yeah, that's basically definition of anarchy right there. Yeah. Um, the the fall in the Elvish pantheon was the opposite. What? Um, yeah, see, the Elvish god was all like, do your own thing, man. Chaos is cool, because I'm going to constantly change my form from male to female to something else to a flock of butterflies. And one of the elvish like, sub-deities got, got kind of pissed at this and was like, no, 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 we should work together and like organize and have, have like set rules for like how things are done. And this, and in order to try and do this, she tried to uh, stab him in the back, or stab the primary deity in the back, and this failed, and um, she got cast out along with her followers, and that's where the Dark Elves come from. So oh. it's, the, it's the fall from... It's the war in heaven fall from grace in reverse. This is the is opposite weird. of the thing I like. Yeah, um, and that's how Lolf happens, and you get the tyrannical spider queen... spider elf demon lord i i do like me some spider demons yes she is all spider (laughs) spiders all the way down literally (laughs) yeah pretty much Uh, that that's well we will talk about drow and dark elves in its own episode we're not going to focus on them because they have so much shit going on and there is so many interesting varieties of them in different media probably my Um, second favorite race after orcs is yeah, I mean they have they're they're distinct enough that we will talk about them separately, because elves then in D anD D get sent down to you know the various mortal realms and there's a ver- bunch of varieties of them, um, and if, <laughs> at least nine different sub races. Uh, you typically you have your high elves and your wood elves. Uh, high elves are the ones who like civilization and magic. They tend to be good at magic. They tend to be building cities or ancient empires that have since fallen and now they're kind of crap. Um, whereas wood elves are the ones that are all like, woo, nature, yeah, and live in the woods and are good at archery. We love us some nature. Yes. Uh, and of course, you also get, um, you know, sometimes you have like sun elf, moon elves, 
as a distinction. Uh, you have aquatic elves who are mer- merfolk. Merfolk, <laughs> merfolk elves. Uh, typically, they have legs, but they also breathe underwater. Um, well, here here's a question: Would they would they be if you had a merfolk that had the top half of the body of the merfolk, but then the lower half of the body was an aquatic elf? Is that still a merfolk, or is that an aquatic elf? I, I think that's an aquatic half elf, <laughs> because there are half elves. Which I am are... half. I am half merfolk, but I cannot swim. Well, I mean, what what happens if you have a minotaur and a centaur have a kid that is um, half of each, and so it just comes out as a normal human? Then well, then they can definitely climb ladders. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because, you know, they've got the top half of a centaur and the bottom half of a minotaur, so so they're just a normal human. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, of course, there's, like, winged elves, which are super rare and generally not around much. Um, in D&D, you also sometimes have the Eladrian, which are elves that spent too much time in the Feywild. Whoops. Um, they were actually a major playable race in 4th edition, and everyone realized how that was not fun, and they just became an elf sub-race in 5th. Um, that elves who hang out in the Feywild should just be elves. Um, Sounds about right. Uh, typically, they have more, like, fey traits where they're, like, linked to seasons and stuff. They're kind of fun, but... I think they're fun as a elf subrace rather than as their own thing. Um, and you have, uh, oh, what was the other one I'm thinking of? Oh, the Shadakai something. Shadow elves. Elves who spent too much time in the shadow fell. Because again, fourth edition really dug deep into the, like, things are related to either the Feywild or the shadow fell. And so these are like elves with pale white skin and black tattoos. They're goth elves. Sweet. They're, um, yeah, they're goth elves. Uh, and of course the half elves, because elves and humans can have kids and do fairly often. And the kids tend to live for a long time, but not as long as elves. And sometimes they don't get along with either community. Sometimes they're a bridge between the communities. Sometimes they meet and marry other half-elves, and then you get a whole village of half-elves that are their <laughs> own thing, pretty much. Um, again, this actually comes from Tolkien, because uh, certain elves in Tolkien, including uh, one Elrond, were half-elves, actually. I knew um, that. And his two kids, are three kids, in their thing, the... Him and his kids essentially got the choice as to whether they wanted to be mortal or immortal. Um, and so that's kind of what is not explicitly stated in the Lord of the Rings books, but that that's why he, he has such a conniption fit about um, Arwen going off to marry a human. No, be, be immortal with me. Go... Go to not heaven. I don't. I never figure out what the gray havens are. Um. 
Again, that'll be in our Lord of the Rings <laughs> three-hour extendo episode. But uh, you can only get there if you're if the captain of your ship is an elf and you sail straight and ignore the fact that the world is a sphere now. Sweet, just launching right into space. Well, for elves, it's the world is still flat, which is again also why Legolas's elf eyes are important. It's because oh, for no. him the world is no, because for him the world is flat, not curved, so he can see farther. Elves are flat earthers. <laughs> yes, Tolkien elves are flat earthers. I'm sorry to break it. Except to you. they're right. Except they're kind of right. <laughs> Again, Tolkien got weird with it. it. It's not as obvious, but he got weird with it. Hey so, man, when you're the first, you can do whatever the hell you want. I mean, he's not the first, but. He's an important one. He's first enough. Yeah, he he's one of the big ones. Um, elves show up in all the major Dungeons & Dragons settings. Uh, they've been around forever in the Greyhawk setting. They've been around forever. They had ancient empires in the Faerun setting, uh, the Forgotten Realms. Uh, same in the Dragonlance setting. They had ancient empires. Um... In the Eberron setting, they didn't really have ancient empires. They were slaves to the giants um, and participated in overthrowing the giants. Um, and then during the like war between dragons and giants, and then some of them moved and settled and created good aligned positive energy undead. Um, okay. And then did some other stuff. Uh, they're they're kind of different stuff there. Um, and then some of them decided to go become warlords and mercenaries and get involved in the war between all the human empires. Uh, Spelljammer has an entire elvish, like, empire that spans multiple solar systems. Um, and fought a war against the various empires of orcs and goblins and basically smashed them down to just pirate states. I, um, I believe those are called Eldar. Yeah, the Space Elf Empire is a little, uh, lawful evil-esque. They, they take shit very seriously, and you better follow their rules, and fill out all those forms in triplicate and in Elvish. <laughs> um, Dark Sun Elves, I don't Aren't remember. they cannibals? No, there's a bunch of cannibals. I don't think the elves are cannibals. I don't think there are a lot of, uh... Elves in Dark Sun. Um, I think Dark Sun... They're nomads. Um, yeah, they're just basically nomadic tribes. Um, they tend to be taller. Basically Fremen with pointy ears. Yeah. And, they, uh, they, and pale skin. Yeah, they tend to be taller... And, yeah, just live in the desert and uh, dislike outsiders. Um, they are not as... Um, they're, they're not as common in Dark Sun. They don't have empires. They don't, like, hang out much with the main groups. Which is fine. Dark Sun, again, trying to be different and doing a pretty good job of it. Yes, yeah, son. Um, and so those are kind of the Dungeons and Dragons elves. They are available and all over the place. And, you know, 
either they're good at nature or they're good at magic or they're heirs to an ancient civilization. You know, they've got a lot of options. Um, the primary things to remember are pointy ears and they don't actually sleep. They just go into a trance. Um, if you want a lot of detailed information about Dungeons and Dragons elves, the book Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes has a whole chapter about them. Uh, that explains their cosmology and backstory and all the details you could ever possibly need for elves on all the planes. I think I skipped that one last time I was reading through a Tome of Foes. I mean, it's about elves, so fair enough. Burn. But, but D&D isn't the only game or the only fantasy setting that has elves. World Shocking. of Warcraft has elves, and as you mentioned, their ears are long and pointy and bob up and down. Um, they are one of the longest species I don't know if the yay or, or boo on this one, considering how my view on Blizzard games has changed. Yeah, it's... Uh, they're also, they're kind of funky. They have four varieties, night elves, void elves, blood elves, and nightborn. I don't know much of... Honestly... I don't know much about them. Oh, there also are high elves in the past. Um, there are a bunch of different types of them, as you might expect. Um, weirdly enough, apparently in the history of the elves, they were trolls once upon a time until they used some magic shit. Um, that transformed them into elves. Weird. So, unlike Tolkien mythology, where orcs may have been elves that were, like, corrupted and transformed into monstrous beings, elves are, uh, trolls that got a facelift. It still, it still sounds equally problematic, knowing that that comes from Blizzard. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird decision, um, but... Yeah, I don't um, know much about uh, elves in Warcraft. I I was a I was one of the Forsaken in Warcraft. I never played Warcraft, so uh, yeah, it's a thing that just tends to happen when you graduate college and are unemployed and don't have really anything to do after you've spent the day looking for jobs. I read books when I was in that situation. I read a lot of books. Or I played, like, Skyrim in single-player games. Um, yeah. Never really got into WoW. Um, other games, as we talked about in our episode on the Elder Scrolls, they, are, they have elves. Um, essentially, high elves, wood elves, who are cannibals, and dark elves, and uh, the orcs are actually a species of elf. And the dwarves are also a species of elf. The Morlocks are And the are like, weird troglodytes, also a species of elf. Everything's an elf. Um, their elves are kind of interesting. They're long-lived, but not immortal. And their souls are theoretically spirits that existed before the creation of the world and got kind of like sucked into it and trapped in bodies. And there's a group of the high elves who want to end the world so that they can go back to being free-roaming, bodiless spirits. Get me out of this. Yeah, that's the, um, the Thalmor that show up in Skyrim. 
are theoretically their end goal is to undo the things that are holding the world in place, like holding Mundus up as a entity and then let the world collapse back into the primordial magic chaos where they can go back to being free roaming spirits. Thank God I am out of that flesh mech. Yeah, they don't like the whole biochemical mecha suit that they have to wear. Get me out of here. Um, Warhammer Woo! has elves. Yes, it does. Uh, there are high elves, wood elves, and dark elves. Um, the high elves, they consider themselves to be the eldest race, ignoring the fact that the lizard folk were there first. <laughs> um, they are tall, slender humanoids. They're inherently magical. They live for nearly ever. Um, the high elves have their own, um, like, cool, fancy island, because that's an elf thing, is having a cool, fancy island where you can all hang out. Um, the, in this, in their case, it's Ulthran, which is sort of, like, Britain-ish. If it were in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It's a Britain-slash-Atlantis kind of thing. Um, they had a long golden age there, um... Eventually, at one point, um, one of them got mad about shit, tried to seize the throne, got, um, Horrific murdered his burned. enemies, yeah, got fucked up, and then took the people following him and went off and became Dark Elves. Yeah, Dark Elves. Again, we will, uh, talk more about Dark Elves later. Um, there's also, of course, the Wood Elves who are... Eh. They were just elves that didn't go to that island in the first place and instead moved to the woods. And now they are literal tree people. Yeah, and now they are literal tree people in the current editions. Um, yeah. The wood elves, again, you know, they're the, they live in the woods and... Um, yeah, they were essentially high elf colonists who didn't want to leave the woods. Um, and so they live in the woods and they kill anyone who comes into the woods. They like are my, very uh, much a hippity-hoppity, get-off-my-property sort of elf. <laughs> that they are. Um, and they're linked with the gods of the hunt and stuff, so pretty standard wood elf things. Um... Other settings full of elves, uh, I would note the, what, the Dragon Prince animated series has elves. It's a, a on Netflix. Uh, its elves are distinct in that humans are not inherently magical. Like, humans have a hard time using magic, except for a type that, like, is powered by sacrificing magical creatures. Oh, no. Um, yeah, it's like the dark magic, whereas the elves, there's a bunch of varieties of elves, and they are all, each one is linked to a specific type of magic. Um, those elves are also interesting in that they have the pointy ears, but they also have horns. <laughs> um, and they also only have four fingers, including a thumb. That's weird. Yeah, it's, I mean, it just makes them slightly more distinct from humans. Um, also, the protagonist elf has a 
ridiculous Scottish accent. <laughs> um, also, there are some that have wings, and, you know, there's a bunch of types of elves. It's your pretty standard shenanigans. Um, other things with elves... Um, you gotta contribute here, man. Oh, I, Eldar, space elves. Yeah, I was I was waiting for you to get to, to 40k. Yeah, 40k has space elves. In that setting, the elves are an ancient and powerful race. They're blah blah blah. They're pretty similar to the Warhammer space elves because Warhammer and Warhammer 40k basically the same setting. Um, <laughs> but in space, uh, in that case, the Eldar had too many orgies and accidentally created a god of <laughs> orgies good, a god of good times and in the process they tore open a hole in the fabric of reality called the eye of chaos yep uh, or eye of terror i should say and this destroyed the majority of the elven civilization leaving them broken into let's call it four distinct groups um the elven craft worlds which are giant like moon-sized city ships that you know were in between worlds when at the time of everything getting sucked into chaos um maiden worlds which are like low technology colonies that you know they've gone uh, back to living in the trees yeah they're living in the trees they're in nature they're shooting arrows or space arrows space arrows um elvish corsairs who are pirate ship elves Arg. um that are chaotic neutral at best uh they, they they raid stuff they're not really associated with the other things sometimes they hang out at the craft worlds uh sometimes they're independent and then the last one being of course the Dr- dark eldar or drukari if you want to trademark some names <laughs> um they they take good times to the extreme yeah, their thing is that... So so the Eldar are annoyed because their gods are dead and are dead or captured for the most part. And uh, the deity of good times, Slanesh, uh, wants to eat their souls because their souls are apparently delicious. So the Craftworld Eldar devised a thing called Soul Stones where rather than let their souls get sucked into the warp and eaten upon death, it is pulled into a magical gem that you can then sort of like hand down to your descendants and your descent. Well, it's less respawn and more like it's a backup copy of you. (laughs) Um, and your descendants can be like, Hey, grandpops, what were things like in your day? And you can be in your soul zone and be like psychically telling them that back in my day, we didn't have these, uh, new fangled, uh, whatever the, dwarfs are now uh yeah botan the, the, we called them squats not uh i don't remember what the new faction is back in my day we had the best orgies you've ever seen shut up grandpa sorry I know that destroyed the universe <laughs> um sometimes these can also be used to power basically robots uh wraith guard Yep. Uh, and yeah, so you can use them to power robots that are kind of weird. Um, the Dark Eldar made the decision of, hey, maybe if we keep sacrificing other things to the goddess, god goddess of good times, 
shows she he they will ignore us and let us we go on with our lives good times so they have their own good times and uh they go full cenobite with it and pain and pleasure in equal mix and that's why they are the best race in 40k no um <laughs> So, yeah, that that's the 40k elves. Um, one could argue that the Vulcans and Romulans from Star Trek are basically space elves. Huh. Didn't think uh, about I'm, that. They're, they're long-lived. They have special abilities and pointy ears. I don't think they're Star Wars has space any elves. space elves. Um... I mean, they have a bunch of, like, near-human species, but there's nothing that matches up with elves real particularly. Um, I suppose Yoda's species is, like, the closest. Yeah. But they're, like, old-timey fairy elves, where they're, yeah, like, small and green um, and incredibly long-lived and have innate force powers. That's kind of the closest thing you get in Star Wars. Um, arguments could probably be made for other races being the equivalent of elves, but I think that's the closest thing. Well, I mean, Wookiees um, do live in trees. Wookiees, I guess, are wood elves. Just very <laughs> furry wood elves. Uh, wood elves, they let their hair grow out forever and onto everything. But they're also too, like, buff for elves. Hey, man, you get a lot of muscles climbing around like that. You do. Um... Other things with elves. Um, what about Shadowrun? Shadowrun has elves. Uh, in that case, they are... Essentially, Shadowrun was the real world up until, like, the early 2000s, I want to say, when magic came... I think it was, like, 2012, because my calendar shenanigans, when magic returned to the world and uh, a bunch of people spontaneously turned into... Various races, including elves, trolls, uh, orcs, and I think dwarves. Um, basically, people just kind of turned into fantasy races. Um, and the elves, in that case, basically took over Ireland as one of, <laughs> as like part of their homeland and started speaking Tolkien elvish. Cool. Um, they're like, shit, we're elves now? I guess we have to speak elvish. And so they Might speak Tolkien well. elvish. Uh, and they also took over Oregon. Woo! That, and part of, that tracks. And, yeah, they took over Oregon and part of southern Washington as, like, the elvish homeland in the United States. Our former United States. Because the U.S. broke up into a bunch of different nations. Um, yeah, if some elves had to by, live somewhere in the U.S., Oregon would be it. Yeah. Uh, they just, except they would be, like, stoner elves. I mean... Yeah, I think they, there are certainly stoner elves in the Shadowrun U.S. I mean, remember that Shadowrun's base city is Seattle. <laughs> Those so, are the coffee elves. Yeah, the coffee elves, the Starbucks elves, um, Amazon elves. No! What? That's a forest. That is true. Yeah. Um, the Shadowrun lore is, again, something we'd have to cover in its own episode, but you get a lot of elves in that. Um, that's, that's your go-to for cyberpunk elves. Um, elves in JRPGs and 
Japanese anime manga tend to have longer ears and uh, then just other than that be pretty much Tolkien elves. Uh, I think most of the ones I've seen, they are like forest village types. Um, yeah. It can vary wildly. Uh, uh, I will say the elves in uh, Dungeon Meshi or Delicious in Dungeon have a lot of well thought out characterization and like ideas. Uh, and I guess we'll have to do an episode just on that as like a mm-hmm. setting and a piece of content because uh, that one is much more interesting than uh, most. I mean, like, it does standard include dungeons. Fantasy ones. So it, it, it includes dungeons. There are dragons. There is a dragon in it. Um, and uh, there's lots of cooking because they, they cook everything they kill in the dungeon. Tasty. Um, and it so it focuses a lot on like dungeon ecology, <laughs> which is quite interesting. Uh, yeah, and other than that, elves. What do you want? To, what do you think we should do with elves? What could make elves interesting? I would think of like something like radically different. Uh, for example, like your cyberpunk. If you wanted cyberpunk elves, instead of making them elves, why not make them basically like AI algorithm people? Like they live inside the computer, or they are like a race of AI beings that pop up. I mean, that I mean could, they live I, a long I time. Like, they may or may not actually care about humans that much. I feel like that fits for, like, AI fey, but it doesn't really fit the Tolkien-style elves. Hmm. I mean, the, the fey court made, being inside the computer is pretty fun, actually. What if you made Tolkien elves, but made them really, like, buff, so they were, like, lumberjack elves? I mean, I do like Lumberjack buff elves. That's a pretty solid choice. Give them, like, a bunch of plaid. You get, like, a prosthetic beard, because they're like, oh, I can't grow a beard. So, our our culture, we wear these fake beards. Canadian elves. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Uh, We're really into hockey up here. I don't... I guess maybe, like, the Kokiri from Legend of Zelda count as elves, but they're also very different because they used to be like literal like little elf children but now they're like uh sea pod plant people link and zelda are elves right well the the hylians they they're kind of like almost like half elves but then there's like the kokiri who literally live in the woods they live a long time and are usually depicted like as children at least that's how that how it used to be prior to uh I can't remember what the one with all the sailing is. Wind Waker. Wind Waker. Yep. Prior to Never Wind Waker, played. they were they were very much elvish. Um and I don't know how much of that was changed to make them distinct from the Highlands who are kind of elf human hybrids. Um there are the Sheikah who are like the I guess maybe they would be kind of the the Zelda equivalent of elves. They're very mysterious. Um, They have a lot of, like, mystical technology. They kind of live hidden away from everybody else. They want to do their own thing and or be left alone. That sounds like high elves. Yeah. Um, Let's see. For elvish stuff that you could do that would be interesting, um, 
I don't know. I I could go for. I like uh, pirate elves. Arg. Uh, like the especially the forty k corsair elves, and I think extending that to, um, like a fantasy setting where you've got a group of elves that are just just pirates. They're pirate kingdoms of like small islands of elves that just raid shit. They don't build <laughs> much of their own things. They just uh, steal yours. We're not the friendly elves. Yeah, they're, they're pirate elves. Um, I can get behind that. Similarly, I, I kind of like the notion of, like, an elf or a small group of elves that is, like, the advisor to a kingdom or a group of kingdoms that kind of keep everything running and do a lot of the background work to, like, pick who's going to be the next king. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you want to have a reason why there's been no, like technological advances or movements out of feudalism. We're keeping everything the same. Deal with it. <laughs> Having incredibly long-lived elves who don't really like change being responsible <laughs> for that. So um, you, mean, you mean Congress, right? I, I mean, it is conservative elves. Uh, yeah. Conservative elves who are kind of like keeping stuff the same because that's how they prefer it. Yeah, like that. um, could be an entertaining idea, especially if you were doing a more political intrigue D&D campaign. Yeah, that'd be a good one, because I can't remember what it was we were talking about. Oh, Elder Scrolls, where it's like, yeah, uh, Skyrim takes place 500 years after Oblivion, and it's like, shit hasn't changed, like, not even slightly. I mean... Like they, I get that in the ancient times, technological progress was slow, but it's like, if you look at, you know... England in the year 1000 versus the year 1500, they're going to look a lot different. Yeah, there's cultural change and stuff that would be nice to see some of that in a Elder Scrolls kind of game. But it was I, the elves. It was the elves the whole time. Progress. Um, I will say that there has been technological regression in the Elder Scrolls games because, you know, by the time you get to Skyrim, no one makes their own spells anymore. I mean, like this is true. Oblivion, and levitation spells are just gone. Time is time is not a linear progression. Things can backslide. Yeah, so you're in kind of a dark age. Okay, I, I can I can buy that. The question, of course, is why is like the apparel the same culturally as it was in five hundred years, four hundred years previously? Um, because designing new assets takes time and money, and Bethesda doesn't like to spend time or money. Fair point. Um, yeah, because like dresses and armor and stuff was all very similar. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Elves, elves are kind of elves. I don't know what I would really want to do differently with them. Maybe make them assholes, but they already kind of are. Yeah. Um, yeah, elves. Elves are not my favorite. I, I prefer a lot of the other races, so... Eh. Um, if you're gonna do elves, just try to make them interesting. Um, I mean, there's a whole comic book series called Elf Quest that I never read, but knew someone who did. Well, just, just like, throw the Keebler elves into your, into your campaign. Like, oh yeah. man, we've got these bakery elves. They're such a pain in the ass. 
They're, they're yeah. the capitalist elves. They're they're chopping down the forest for the wood to fire their furnaces to make the cookies. That could be interesting. I mean, maybe they're actually dwarves. <laughs> they just call themselves elves. <laughs> Masquerading as elves. Or they're like anarcho-capitalist elves. Ugh. Why? <laughs> Why would you say that? <laughs> to be a troll. Which we already talked about. Yes, yes, I suppose so. Um, so yeah, that's elves. Um, Are hobbits that... a type of elf? No. Or hobbits mortal? No, wait, hobbits, hobbits are, are mortal. mortal. Hobbits are 100% mortal. Mind. Um... Yeah, so we have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner, where we talk about a board game. Woo! And today, because it's my turn to troll a little, the board uh, game we're going to talk about is Elf Journey from the North Pole. Never which heard came of out this in one. 2020 and is based on the Will Ferrell movie Elf. <laughs> uh, my <laughs> wife would probably play that. Yeah, um,. Basically, the the concept is that you play cards to the board to help the main character, Buddy, move along a path and try and score your secret goal goal along the way. And whoever has the most points when the elf re when the protagonist reaches the point in New York City wins. Um, the board is this sort of cartoonish, vaguely hexagon thing um, where you start at the North Pole and then you sort of move around through various locations based off what was in the film. Um, it it was in, uh, produced by Funko. Ah. Best known for making Funko Pops. Yeah, Funko, uh, they, it's a, they've been doing a lot of board game stuff. Yeah, they've been doing licensed board game stuff because they have um, licenses already. Yep. Um, and a good relationship with those vendors. Uh, the thing I think is probably most interesting is that it comes in a, like, triangular box. Huh. Um, Do they give any particular reason? Because it looks like the hat. Oh, uh, okay. Um, and And when you play the cards to move him... You actually, like, play them in the squares on the board. Hmm. Um, and, you know, collect various things. So it's um, certainly a board game that if you like the movie Elf, starring Will Ferrell, you could play it. <laughs> uh, board Game Geek gives it a complexity rating weight of 1 out of 5. Ouch. And a 20-minute playtime. So, uh... Do with that as you will. Yeah. If you need a Christmas-themed board game to play with children, this is probably your good your choice. If you want something complicated to play with friends or people who like board games, look elsewhere. What if you want a complicated board game to play with children? Um, throw them into the deep end. <laughs> Twilight Sit Imperium is good for all ages. Sit down, little Jimmy. We're going to learn about the horrors of World War II. Oh, God. Campaign for North Africa. Why? I mean, I actually have some, like, 
some kids around like the age of 10 or so being taught how to play advanced squad leader but i think they're they're exceptional cases who these are kids who are like really into history or have like particularly nerdy dads who have foisted it foisted that upon them maybe don't do advanced squad leader maybe do like simplified squad leader ironically just regular squad leader is a bit more complicated than advanced the rules uh... in advanced squad leader are much more well-defined naming conventions why you gotta be like this teach your kids how to play combat commander that's a good start uh teach your kids how to play um star wars game or chess that's where i started or go teach your kids how to play go starting at like age five that's the only way they're gonna ever uh get a don rank <laughs> and uh, that's been our show thank Sorry, you for listening for <laughs> thank you for listening uh if you're an elf what um if you're an elf send us pictures of your ears to prove it um if you're a Uncensored space elf ear content oh oh, oh yeah uh, <laughs> sl- if you're an elf slip into my dms um if not uh um, yeah, uh, support your friendly local game store, have a fantastic Pride Month, Woo! uh, do the things Ed's about to tell you to do. Oh, you can follow me at Animadness on Instagram, that's where I post all of my shenanigans, uh, trying to post a lot of Pride Month related stuff that's not super angry, because that's kind of my default mode to begin with, um, support your queer charities and reproductive justice funds uh support your local pride month group uh or any uh mutual aid solidarity groups for queer people um make life difficult for your local nazis your local republicans your local proud boys but Um, then again you repeat yourself yes um let your freak flag fly even though eh, freak not not great just Fly your flag. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Um, and go Knowles. Go Knowles. Go Knowles. <laughs>